Hi, everyone, and welcome to State of the Revolution, the Michigan Progressive Podcast. I'm Leanne O'Shea. And I'm Nick Trim. Thanks for tuning in and keeping up with the revolution. Hi, everyone. This week, we're with Leah Dotson and Zara Abbas. Leah is the chair of the Young Democrats of Michigan, a uh, unit of the uh, Democratic Party. Zara is, I believe the, the, you're the vice chair of Motor City Normal, is that correct? Did I get that right? Vice president of Motor City Normal, vice chair vice of the president. Cannabis Caucus, and then secretary of the Young Democrats. There we go. Okay. Thank you very much. So we wanted to talk to you guys about what are your current projects, what are the big things that you're working on, uh, and, uh, and, and how's that going? Who wants to start out? Yeah, I mean... We definitely have quite a few projects that we could share about, that's for sure. Absolutely, you both are powerhouses. (laughs) Thank you. So our first biggest project is uh, actually our show that we recently launched. Mm -hmm. We decided that, you know, there's a lot of great shows out there, political shows, but there's nothing that's geared towards the younger generation and their ideas and politics and what they hope to get out of um, being involved in politics. So that was one of our goals last year, and we were able to launch a show a few weeks ago. The show is called Dive Into Young Politics with Leah and Zahra, and we try to have a new guest from the younger generation on every week. And so far, we've done, we just did our fourth show. Is it our fourth or? Fourth, fifth? Fifth. I think fifth show. <laughs> Yes. So yeah, and we have a we have a few exciting guests coming up um, that we'll start promoting in the next couple days. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's one of the big projects. Uh, Leah, is there anything else you want to add about the show? Yeah, I mean, so like so far we've covered everything from having a Flint activist Abel Delgado on who talked with us about what the situation still is in Flint. Um, you know, we were able to this past week have Robert George on, a friend of mine from the Ann Arbor area, to talk about labor movement and the union movement and how youth could be part of that. It's so, like it's a really wide scope of things that we've been able to cover. We've had a candidate on from Pontiac, Mikhail Goodman, to talk about his race, what it's like to be a young person running for office, some of the unique challenges that they may face. In general, we, we don't have like one topic, so we're really covering like how do the youth get involved in all these different things and also like the nitty gritty real side of it. Like what's really still happening in Flint? What's actually happening in Detroit right now? What's going on in Dearborn right now? Um, not sugarcoating anything, but having just a really real frank discussion upon it and then talking about how the youth can like do something about it. Absolutely. And that is why I was so excited to have you both on because I have been fans of yours. I have just told you before, watching you both work in your different areas, but also how you collaborate with each other and others has been so impressive. And here at State of the Revolution, you know, in our new format, we're really striving to connect with activists and political leaders, uh, progressive and leftist political leaders all across the state. And you two were definitely at the top of my list and Liano's as well about who do we want to connect with because they are, you know, connecting into those things that inform the movement, inform how people are actually behaving politically on the ground and how we can connect those to larger scale movements across the state, across the nation, even globally, like the youth movement at this moment is so critical. So thank you for being here with us and I'm so excited to listen and catch up on your show. Thank you so Ah. much for having us on, we're excited. Yeah, definitely. Be dangerous, we could talk for hours. Absolutely. <laughs> Before we get too far away from it, tell us uh, how, how people can find your show. Yeah, so um, we are on Facebook and uh, we have a Facebook and Instagram page. It's just, uh, you can just type in Dive Into Young Politics and that should show up. Every Saturday during our showtime, um, so our show is on WJZZ Cool TV, so you can um, watch it on YouTube, Facebook. Um, Twitch and Twitter. Twitch and Twitter. I mean, we say this every week, so I don't know how I forgot the other platforms. (laughs) Um, And we usually uh, live stream it once it's live streamed on WJZZ. Um, We usually just live stream it onto our page, so you can always find it over there. And currently, we are letting anybody be able to... We decided to do, like, we're in person, but we are also keeping it that anybody... Any of our guests, even if they're close by, they can join by Zoom just because we know like the situation and everything that's happening. But it is exciting to have an in-person guest like we had Robert the other day. So yeah. hopefully we'll start getting more uh, in-person guests. But for now, everything is done. Uh, for right now, most of it is done virtually. Cool, cool, cool. So tell us some more about your other projects. I mean, that, that's a really great communication project. You're going to get a lot of good information out there and have a lot of good conversations. What are the big things that uh, that's going on on the ground? 
So I'd say part, part of why we started the show was some stuff that we saw from our positions in the Young Dems in Michigan was a lot of the frustration that like young people have about trying to get into the rooms and have their voices heard. So like one of my personally biggest projects is I'm chair of the Young Dems of Michigan. So we represent everyone between the ages of 16 to 36 for the Michigan Democratic Party. Um, I wish I could give you numbers on that, but I can't at the moment. <laughs> um, part of that is because we didn't used to collect birthdays. Now we are, so we're updating our membership logs. And so like, we're really excited to see like how many more members we have than we realized. Um, but that's part of like what we're doing is we're reaching out to the young people and we're saying, hey, come get involved in the party. And I have to give Liano Sharon credit here because when I first started in it, I was not gonna join the party. And Liano basically told me, you've gotta be involved in it to make a change. So the young people, there's kind of some mentality of like, we don't want anything to do with the two party system. And like, I agree with them on that. The two party system's not mm -hmm. working. Like we know it's not working, but it's what we have right now. So we work to um, help young people get involved in the democratic party so that they can change it for what they want to see it. What were you gonna say, Zahara? Yeah, I was, I was just gonna add to that is, yeah, I mean, I got involved in the democratic party through Dana's campaign, that was that was my first involvement, and then it was once Liana reached out to help build the platform and things like that that I actually you know stayed with the party and started putting together slates and the ones that Liana was was running, and that's that got us got me more involved in the party. And it is very frustrating, especially the higher up you get. Like right now, I mean, both Liana and I recently got elected as DNC delegates, and it's like you just start seeing more of the things that need to be fixed and more of the frustration that people feel and people like, you know, use those to leave the party or just say they are done with politics. You definitely start seeing a lot more, more of that the deeper you get into the party. But at the same time, that just like to me, that just motivates, motivates me to, to basically step it up and to continue trying to change things to start the conversations. Not everything is going to happen all at once. We definitely need a lot of time, but this is the way we're going to get it done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I saw YDM as, sorry, Nikki. <laughs> oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Please. I, I, I saw YDM as a way to help retain a lot of the young volunteers, too, that you see on a lot of campaigns. They get excited about Dana Nessel or Abdul El Sayed um, or Eli Savid is a great local example. He had sure. tons of high school and college volunteers, similar to what we saw with Abdul El Sayed's campaign. But a lot of times they weren't getting connected to the party. They weren't joining like a high school Young Dems or a college Dems or they didn't know the Young Dems were a thing. So part of the battle is educating and letting people know where to go and how to get involved. But YDM is really a home for a little bit of everyone and everything. We're definitely much more progressive. Our platform has like Green New Deal in it, Medicare for All in it. Um, we were talking about those issues when we first got elected in 2019, and there's still things that we're fighting for today. We have, you know, cannabis legalization and decriminalization and stuff like that. So, like, our platform is really progressive, but the other side of YDM is it's a place to come and learn. Right now, we just added some new board members uh, that were appointed that are really young. We have um, an upcoming 17-year-old who's joining the board. We have a, two 19-year-olds that are on the board, and they don't have a ton of party experience. So, like, a big party member is not going to look at them, pick them up, and say, hey, here's something for you to learn. Here's a position. I've got you. They're looking for experienced people. They're going to pass over these people, but they want to get involved. They want to learn. So, like, our deputy treasurer, you know, he has a little bit of finance experience, and he'll tell you, he goes... I may not know all the things, but like I came here because I heard I can like learn from here and I wanted to do something to make things different. So like it's a really good home for learning and teaching and getting those skills to hopefully maybe run for office one day. Because the other side of what we do is we support candidates running for office, young progressive candidates. And so part of the home of YDM is to teach people things so that when they're ready to run for office or when they're ready to be the field director or the campaign manager, they got the skills to do it. And they have a, a network and a base that's going to always have their back. I love that been really cool doing all that stuff and like um speaking of like running for office we do have one our, our vice chair is currently running for pontiac city council so that's really exciting because we'll have somebody who who we basically saw like leah and i basically saw him grow up <laughs> over the past couple yeah. of years <laughs> and now we're helping him run for office he'll do amazing uh if you guys want to check him out michael goodman for pontiac city council um i always forget district three district three yeah yeah, because I'm used to Dearborn not having, like, different districts for city council. So. Yeah. 
But no, Mikael's like a perfect example. When he joined the board, he joined as our comms director. He was, I think, a sophomore in college at the time and was studying communications. And our friend Sam Pernick knew him, connected us to him, and he was brand new to everything. And then um, our vice chair was able, and he stepped down to be the chair of the Progressive Caucus, and Mikal stepped right up to vice chair, and now he's running for office. So, like, we literally, Zahada's right, you watched him grow through his experiences through YDM and with the party, and it, it's that's exactly what we're trying to be, is we want to give skills, and we also want to give, a, a, like, a family to people, that they want to be part of this, that they know that there's somebody else fighting with them, that they're not just screaming into the void, even though it sounds like it, but instead of screaming in the void, I can pick up the phone and call Zahara, Christian, Abel, Mikal, like, and the board's gonna scream in the void with me, so you're not alone <laughs> screaming into the void. <laughs> yeah, that, that always helps, especially when we're going through, like, some problem with, within the party or anything like that it's like right. it's like okay let me call leah i need to scream <laughs> and that's usually what we do is yeah. is you know we, we we either scream or shout or just be like frustrated and then we're like okay now now that we got that out what are we going to do about this or how mm -hmm. are we going to fix mm -hmm. this or how are we going to motivate somebody right. to to help us with this issue um and things like yeah. that right so what do you say to people to young people who say you know i've just heard the democratic party's just you know it's it's corrupt, they lie and they cheat and they don't work for us, they, they work for the billionaires and all that. What do you say to people like that? I usually say we, that a lot of that is true, but we do, there is a way to change things. You know, it's gonna take time. We need people on the inside. We need the people to run for office. We need the establishment or the people who have been part of this for a long time. They're not gonna know. I mean, yeah, some of them have heard that we need change and things like that, but if they don't see that push from the outside, if they don't see the people joining all that time and continuously pushing them they're just going to be like okay it's not that important to them so that's why like i tell people you need to sign up it's it's frustrating it's very frustrating at times mm -hmm. yeah. but that's that's and, what we got to do i mean like yeah. one example i do use is like you know i started out with the party i did not know what was going on and through our changes from the inside getting more people on the inside we got two people elected to the dnc myself and liano that would not have happened if we had given up after however many times like Clea and I like thought about just stepping away from the party. If we had done that, mm -hmm. we wouldn't have gotten to this point to this point. And I think this is an important spot to mention like uh, organizer mental health is that like we we see a lot of people who have extreme burnout and I you know I'm better at t listen to what I say not as I do I'll just put that out there I, I am the queen of taking out a bunch <laughs> of stuff but something that like YDM's board does is we have this understanding between all of us if you need a break if you are struggling with something you can take that sabbatical we're not going to look down on you for it in fact we're going to support you through it and I think that you know that's a safer network because it's it's a care network and I think that sort of showing people like you can come here and you can do the heavy hard work but we're also going to take care of you and also that there's a really diverse view so like uh, our board has a lot of DSA people on it there's a lot of people that are very DSA leaning um, and we work really closely with Sunrise Movement with DSA members with different chapters um, so like we're definitely the more left progressive side of the party and you know abel will fight me for who's the more progressive title between the progressive caucus and ydm <laughs> but like i think that we were kind of known for calling well, we the shots well we the progressive caucus <laughs> i know i know abel every time i'm like we're so progressive he's like i'm the progressive caucus <laughs> um yeah but i but think come on we have more diversity and we got we got a lot more so <laughs> Yeah, and I think we that, that we we have a unique way of calling it as we see it. Like I said earlier, we don't sugarcoat a lot of stuff. So, like, we welcome ah, criticism is almost a bad word, but, like, critical feedback. Like, we, we want to hear when the party's messing up so that we can go up to the chair and tell them, hey, you know, these are what our members are saying, or, hey, they, weren't, they didn't have access to this vote, or, you know, they can't get to these meetings. Um, the recording ban is a perfect example where we were saying, you know, our members can't all, all drive to one location, and if we're able to record the meeting, then we're able to make sure that more people are involved and engaged. Like, YDM was able to go to SCC because we were lucky to have um, Duncan McLeod, our treasurer, and Zahara Abbas, our secretary, who are uh, at the time SCC delegates and we were able to stand up and speak about that because we wanted to increase access and we wanted to have more people engaged and so you know seeing that we're not afraid to stand up against the party sometimes I think is part of what will attract more people to YDM and to in that way getting involved in the party 
Yeah, but Absolutely. what's the... Oh, so you go ahead, Nikki. Oh, I was just going to say, I think what you're showing is a perfect example of this is a uh, marathon, not a sprint. Um, putting in time, talking about organizer mental health and leader mental health, all of that, having that social network um, in that collaborative space that you all do, so important. So, uh, and, and I think we all have the tendency to sometimes just have our progressive hat on and we forget that we are not dealing with all progressive. It's like... Like, I mean, just before, you know, on, on our on our phone call, Lee and I, uh, on our phone call earlier, she's like, uh, for this, like, we were talking about an event, and she's like, we may have to tone it down, and it's like, you forget when, <laughs> when you need to tone it down, in all honesty, because it's like, we're, you know, <laughs> just going forward, mm-hmm. and it's like, yeah. you do have to find that balance, because you're gonna put some people off if you're just like you know just progressive in their face you have to you have to find a way to approach um you know everything has a different way to approach and this is something that i learned in cannabis um when i was volunteering like with cannabis legalization is that you know it's for cannabis legalization but not you cannot like not everybody is going to take it as an okay like this is just something that people want to use um you have to approach every person in a, in a way in which they think so like there's some people that i used to approach um the need for cannabis legalization through a criminal justice uh um mm-hmm. uh, reform issue like this is this is why we need the cannabis legalization there's others um this like they care about money i'm like okay so this will bring money to the state um so like even with the same like topic you have to there's so many different ways to approach it and you do have to know your audience and know who you're speaking to and what it is that you're trying to establish or or get done to know how to how you're going to take that issue on and how you're going to expand on that issue can you give me an example like one of the things is is when i speak once again about cannabis like depending on the group or organization or where i speak like some some of the places i will speak about it as in this is my medicine and this is like what helped get me involved in politics and and this is like you know what what made me you know well enough to be able to do things um there's others there's there's other places that i've spoken where that's not what they care about they don't care about it being as a medicine they care about the environmental consequences of it that this this can help like the environment so i bring up the issues of like okay if we had it legalized and we started utilizing hemp instead of plastics for a lot of things that's that's Mm -hmm. an environmental factor then there's others where it's like there's a lot of people who are in prison are nonviolent offenders um that were in prison for cannabis so especially now that it's legal why are they still in prison mm-hmm. yeah i think the left for a long time has, has been really in this mode of if we just tell them the truth and speak clearly then we'll make progress and that that doesn't actually work very well because it's not just about facts and logic it's about facts and logic and the emotional side of it mm-hmm. and how people feel about it and because there, there's so much disinformation and so much uh, misinformation uh, out there that there, there are a lot of people that don't have the tools to arrive at a, a at a conclusion that bears any resemblance to reality um, and and you can't just tell them that because that's obviously not a good way to uh, get them to listen to you you have to find other ways other ways to get at something that they find valuable because mm-hmm. what you're really looking for is you're looking for what is their value set how do you put your issue in terms of their values okay. yeah there's a lot of people on the left who has, have been very resistant to that kind of process. And I, th- I, th- I, think, that's, I think that's really destructive. I, I think we really need to do more of that. Absolutely. I also think um, cannabis policy is a perfect example of what Zahara and Leah are trying to... They're bringing more young people into the party. And you just talked, Leah, about feeling like the uh, most progressive in the room a lot of the time. When you're representing the youth who has grown up in a completely different generation than the octogenarians and septuagenarians we have in our federal policy making positions in Congress, in the Senate, there's going to be a huge divergence of opinion there. Um, Mm -hmm. So most of the country is pro-cannabis at this point. Most of the country is pro-healthcare at this point, pro-education at this point. Pro-Green New Deal. Right. Mm -hmm. When you're the most progressive in the room, you're actually representing the majority of Americans at this point. So, Yeah, it's just about changing who's in power so they can start listening to the ideals and what the people want. Yeah. And... um, Absolutely. I I think... 
you know, so for instance, when Green New Deal was such a big deal, um, when the presidential candidates were coming to Detroit, you know, YDM was going live at all the different sit-ins and the protests and the marches. Um, we we were in Congresswoman Ding- we spent the night in Congresswoman Dingle's office. I slept underneath her office check-in's desk <laughs> in a sleeping bag. <laughs> Um, yes (laughs) someday I hope to have kids and tell them that I'm gonna be like this is congresswoman dingle and I had a sleepover in her office but like you know you don't see a lot of average party members probably doing that promoting that pushing that out there so I think like just being really obvious about what you're doing and like what is available to people and events and things like that that they can go to that's not just like a meeting but that's like an action um a lot of young people we've seen it with the sunrise movement and with black lives matter movement they they want action they want to go and do something so we go live at uh, demonstrations at protests at marches at rallies because we want our membership and our people who are following our social to see what they can be a part of because there's 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 so many angles to organizing and I always say that like everyone has their own little niche. Some of us are fantastic at fundraising, some of us just want to crunch numbers all day. Some of us want to protest every single day of our life. So everyone has a unique part to bring and part of YDM is kind of helping people hone that and figure out, okay, I have all this energy or this excitement. How do I do it? How do I tell people about these issues? Just like Zahara was talking about, how do I talk to people? Like how do I bring these things up to people? And, and having a safe place to ask those questions and learn, I think, is, is really important. And to not be, like, told, oh, you know, you'll learn or, you know, wait your turn kind of thing. But to be told, yeah, no, here here's, like, a manual. Here's the door. Or what do you need from us? Like, what support can we give you? Like, that's a completely different narrative than what I think you think of from the party. And that's why even when I'm very frustrated with the party, I don't give up on the party because I am part of the party right now. And I'm trying to make a, a better party than what it is. But I'd, I'd like if we could talk a little... Absolutely. Your voice. <laughs> go yeah. ahead, go ahead. I wanted to touch back on what Zahara said about cannabis, because that's another really big project that her and I are both doing. Is um, she, I'm the secretary of the Michigan Democratic Party Cannabis Caucus. I pretty much was like, no, I'm just going to do YDM. And then I got more and more and more involved in the cannabis criminal justice reform and eventually found myself running to be the secretary of the board. You know, we're really excited about legalization, but there's so much more work to do. And so we're doing kind of what I call the follow through work right now. So one of the big things that the Cannabis Caucus is a part of is the Michigan Cannabis Freedom Coalition. So the Michigan Cannabis Freedom Coalition, uh, the Cannabis Caucus is part of it. Um, The Young Democrats of Michigan are part of it. The Progressive Caucus is a part of it. We have like Last Prisoners Project. We have so many different organizations, um, both statewide and uh, and national organizations that are part of the Michigan Cannabis Freedom Coalition. And a lot of the things that we're working on right now is releasing of the cannabis prisoners who who you know are still, especially like the nonviolent ones who are still in uh, um, in prison, even though cannabis is legal right now on a recreational level. So one of the first things that we did as the Cannabis Caucus was we wrote a letter and asked for a meeting with Attorney General Nessel. Hey, I didn't call her Dana. This is good. <laughs> <laughs> with Attorney, that's that's why I was thinking with Attorney General Attorney General Nessel um, to talk to her about you know the release and what we can do for cannabis prisoners. Um, this is like what formed the Michigan Cannabis Freedom Coalition, and one of the first prisoners that the coalition. Um, got released was Michael Thompson, who was in prison for a nonviolent cannabis offense, and he has been in prison for more than 20 years. Mm-hmm. And we are working, like the coalition itself is working on other uh, prisoner um, release and always looking for more um, organizations to join mm-hmm. and uh, help us uh, with the mo- help us, you know, move things forward. We basically are looking for just the whole criminal justice reform. Mm-hmm. That's that's what we need. There's so many, there's so many things that are criminalized or people are put in jail for, and they have harsher sentences than a lot of like the violent offenses. And a lot of it, let's be real, is is um, like the whole cannabis issue. A lot of like why it became in the situation it did was through race racial mm-hmm. um, issues. Yeah. There's, there's no reason it should have been, you know, a Schedule One drug and all of this um, things against it. So it's it's a lot of it. A lot of it is about relearning a lot of things. Like, I mean, would, once again, cannabis is, is, is the best example to give is, you know, like I started cannabis just to prove that it wouldn't work because of how many negatives we heard about it growing up. 
but now it's what helped, you know, gave me better health and put me in, um, involved in politics and gave me a new direction in life. Um, and that's like one of the things that we, we aim to do with the coalition and just with a lot of things is just having a new, basically a new perspective on these issues to fix a lot of the wrongs that we've had for years. Yeah, absolutely. I so admire the energy you put into that. Is there an estimate on how many people in Michigan are still imprisoned for cannabis related offenses? I think it's in the it's in it's in the thousands, but I cannot remember the exact That's number. Okay. There's still thousands um, of people the, the, suffering them. in prison for a legalized product, though, is in our state. Right. Yeah. <sighs> and the other side of what we're doing is prisoner support. So there's an opportunity to write like letters to prisoners. There are fundraisers to help prisoners get um, legal fees. We're going a little bit extra to make sure that they know that we're also behind them and supporting them to make sure that they know that we're not just like taking a meeting here and there, but we're going to write letters. We're going to connect with them. We're going to keep talking to them. And I think that's a really crucial thing because, you know, when you reenter society, you may not know anyone or anywhere to go. And so having that relationship with the coalition, like when Michael Thompson got out, there was a group of people waiting there. And I think it was like 4.30 in the morning, something ridiculous like that, um, to greet him. So like we're building a, a relationship that when they are finally free from these cannabis crimes they're being held for, you know, they're not just cut free on their own, but now they have a support system where we're looking at trying to find housing for them, where we're connecting them with uh, landlords that'll rent to them, where we're looking at job opportunities for them. So... The coalition really is doing a lot of heavy lifting and like we have to give a lot of credit to our chair mike mccurdy for sure he's doing a lot of the the heavy lifting on the coalition um and it's a really it's a really cool thing to see so many different groups coming together doing something so tangible and real yeah yeah and and, and the good thing is that we are slowly starting to get more support on a legislative level mm-hmm. yeah excellent what, what kind of support are you getting there so, I mean, one of the things is that recently Representative Cynthia Johnson and some other representatives in the House and Senate started the Michigan Legislative Cannabis Caucus. Mm. And they recently wrote a letter on behalf of their caucus to Governor Whitmer uh, that we are helping promote. Um, this is just to talk about, like, the need for, you know, all of this reform, you know, and they are working, at looking at more things and, and what still needs to be done. So it's pretty cool to have their support and a lot of like, you know, a lot of the things that they are doing on a state level as elected officials. So hopefully they'll be able to expand on that and um, more representatives and senators will start joining them to make it an even bigger group. She's not telling you she's on the advisory committee for this group. Cool. Yeah. Yes. So she's, cool. she's helping advise them on a lot of this stuff, too. This is amazing. So, like I said, you both do so many amazing projects. I could, I could talk to you yeah. all night. How many hats do I have to, like, I forget which one I have to highlight. Well, Same. That's actually a big problem in the movement. We have to start getting yeah. more people in here so we don't have to wear that many hats. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, exactly. We need, yeah, people, come on, join us. We're yeah. tired. We We're tired, we'll, y'all. We'll you. Come on. <laughs> that's why I'm so excited about, like, the people coming to YDM. Like, we've got a lot of young people that are engaged. Like, I'm talking, like, high schoolers and early college age. And in Ann Arbor right now, in Arbor Ipsy, there are six chapters of high school young dims in the high schools. Those didn't exist like two years ago. Those came out of Ellie Savitt's cool. campaign and the 2020 campaign. So like we're getting younger, more new, engaged people in which you're completely right. We have to because Zahada and I shouldn't be wearing six, seven, ten hats. Like it, it shouldn't be happening. We do the work because we love the work, but that's part of why I hate the word recruiting. But you, you are like in a lot of ways recruiting more members to join. Yeah. yeah and, and I mean, like we both Lee and I like wear many hats during election season but especially right now you know with with the pandemic it's like you're at home it's very hard to say no i mean like right now things are going to be back in person but literally during the pandemic and even like most times you're doing more than one thing at once because you are at home so like i'm often text banking while phone banking Mm -hmm. or in two meetings while text banking or text banking and phone banking and in a meeting (laughs) and it's gonna be like hard to step away from that but Mm -hmm. when you're back in person you cannot do all of those things at once because things will be in person and not as virtual so I think like you know virtual has been fun and everything but at the same time I want to go back to in person so I can be just doing one thing 
Yeah, one step back just a bit. That, no, you know, people like to disparage the energy levels of the younger generations when it comes to civics, but I actually see more engaged young people than I do my generation, which is slightly the older millennials, right? Like, mm-hmm. I felt like we were pretty engaged when we were in college, but what I consistently see on the ground is the youth, the college age and younger coming out. And I think it's because they have such a keen and correct me if I'm wrong, that you all have such a keen sense of what's at stake here without changing these systems. Like what's at stake with the future of our planet, with the future of our society. Yeah. I think the climate change is, and I mean, I'm going to give a lot of credit to sunrise movement again. I really think that that ignited a fire under a lot of young people and even when things have died down a bit with green new deal really hasn't in fact there were several um activists who were arrested this week at the white house they blocked all entrances to the white house for joe biden demanding that he put the green new deal in his upcoming budget so like you know it may not be where we're sitting in at congressman dingle's office anymore but we were trying to make her come to the table and have meetings with us she came to the table and had meetings with us so like has she signed on no do i want her to yes has she at least pulled up a chair and said here you go sit down and talk to me yes and that's a really big difference so like sunrise movement is still very active and that's still igniting a fire under young people and then you had the black lives matter movement happen which ignited another fire underneath the already ignited people and now they're all just like really riled up and they're just like what do we do with this energy and that's why we're trying to give them something to do with that energy something productive that's going to help them actually make a change So let me take this up a scale of discourse, step back a little bit and talk about like earlier you mentioned about, you know, about about police reform and so on. Mm -hmm. Right now, there's a big controversy on the on on the uh, among the Democrats and the farther left about the phrase defund the police. Mm -hmm. What do you guys think about that? Do you think that that's a reasonable criticism that we should have? Like we were talking about earlier that you got to come come at people from where they're at and what they're ready to deal with, uh, what they're ready to think about. Is defund the police a, a, a contradiction of that or a bad thing? What, 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 do, what do you think? What do you think from the perspective of the youth? I mean, I, I think from the youth's perspective, that is something that they are all for. I mean, I think yeah. they, they'd probably go for abolish the police. Okay. Um, but, yeah, you when there. you are dealing with the older generation... Huh? You went there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't we say earlier that we sometimes forget when we need to tone it down. <laughs> but I think with the with the older generation, it does turn some people off and it's just mm-hmm. like, okay, you have to like with the younger generation, um, especially the people involved with like Black Lives Matter and some of the progressive stuff, if you tell them defund the police, they get what that means. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't need to explain it to them. But with the older generation, this is where I'm like I it depends if I'm like having one-on-one conversation I don't typically use defund the police I'll use reform the police or reform our criminal justice system mm-hmm. um, because that still shows that you know we do need a big change but we're mm-hmm. not talking about like just doing away with the police we're doing away yeah. with the policing system that became that is it, it, it's not for this time anymore I mean a lot of the things that the police handle these days is not something that they should be handling there's so much missing there's there's so much mm-hmm. mental health miss uh, uh, you know um, things surrounding mental health I mean a lot of the stuff that people get in trouble with would be solved if we had a good mental health system mm-hmm. um, yeah. so uh, a lot of it is is I mean in a lot of ways Poverty is criminalized. A lot of people end up in, mm-hmm. in prison because of poverty. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what leads them to prison. And then from there, you know, it just becomes a cycle. So mm-hmm. you, we need to address these issues. Yeah. So it really depends. I mean, I am for defund the police. I get what it means. But yeah, there are times where you have to change your wording to see, you know, to see what fits best because you don't want to turn people away no. because of that. So I often use the term reallocating that seems mm-hmm. to be one that people are more approachable to. So in our YDM packet, we asked the question, are you in favor of reallocating funds from the police department to mental health services, social services? And there was one third thing that I think we listed that I can't remember. Um, and that was one of our guiding questions. And I'll tell you right now, the board really looked at that question really heavily. And depending on how you answered it, that was really what led the board to, to endorsing. One of, one of our, I'd say like top five questions that we really looked at. 
and reallocating is a much more approachable word and we still had candidates that were like absolutely not i'm going to 100 support the police we had other candidates that were like absolutely mental health social work we have to put our funds towards there for example i live in ipsy we put about seven million into ypd last cycle i believe don't perfectly quote me on that number but when i looked and during the 2020 election that was what it was we're a three mile wide city and about at least a mile of us is controlled by emu which has its own policing service there's no reason why about two miles of property needs that much um so in that case like if i'm talking to someone from ipsy i'm gonna approach them with this these numbers this approach and tell them you know we really do need to look at you know depending on if i'm talking to an activist i'll use the term defunding depending on if i'm talking to someone who's a little more moderate or establishment i'll use the term reallocating and so like i do think that we need to defund and reallocate our money i think it's it's insane and absurd i've looked into the dearborn situations and where like the city's been defunded basically but they're still funding the police immensely but the city's losing services left and right that just doesn't make logical sense anymore so you know kind of mm -hmm. like we said about the cannabis question is i think it's it depends on who you're talking to and a lot of that comes back down to educating people on what these words mean you know if you tell my grandparents defund the police my grandma thinks if she has a heart attack the police aren't coming to help her that's not what we mean <laughs> well if, if she has a heart yeah. attack you don't want the police Sorry, coming to help yeah. her you want you want the I want an yeah you want to right. my bad i'll go with if, if someone's breaking in she thinks you know well they're not going to have police to come help me and i'm like well grandma that's not what that means, but in her mind, it does. Now, when I sit down with her and I tell her how much we spend, and then she gets upset because like her trash service is really crappy, she's like, mm -hmm. okay, I can start seeing what you mean. But it, it, yeah. it's really about crafting that message. And in the grand scheme of things, like Sahara's saying, it leads us to these conversations about reforming this piece for that piece to this piece to get to a better solution. So let me ask you this. I'm sympathetic to that perspective, and that I, I think that there's a uh, broad swath of situations where that may well be the best thing to do. Mm -hmm. However, there's a question about being honest, because what we want is we want is we want to we want to fund law enforcement, but we want to defund the police. Mm -hmm. It's basically what we want to do. We want to defund all of the military stuff and all yes. that kind of crap, and we want to defund the police because that's wealth and privilege enforcement. We want to fund law enforcement plus all these other things. The accurate way to say that is defund the police. Okay, in the same way, in the same way that the accurate way to describe aspects of Biden's health care plan is it's a plan to kill 68,000 specifically mm -hmm. poor people per year. Yeah. Okay, so, but we don't talk about that because that's not the way that it's framed. That kind of thing is, is pushed out of the conversation. And then when I bring it up, mm -hmm. for example, all the blue no matter who people just go crazy. You know, how can you say such right. a thing? It's like, well, right. I read the plan. I read the report on the plan. I'm just repeating what, you know, what the scientists have analyzed and, mm -hmm. and concluded. I think that a lot, of, a lot of our issues are exacerbated by the fact that we don't tell the truth about things. Mm -hmm. That we massage the truth to make people not feel bad. Okay. I mean, there's a difference between being careful to not hurt people and not offend them and telling them the truth. And sometimes mm -hmm. that's a, that's a difficult, that's a difficult place to be. Absolutely. And there's no way to phrase it that those who are firmly entrenched in the camp of the pro-police movement, which is right. in essence, a white supremacist movement, there's no way to phrase it that they will accept there. We, right. we, mm -hmm. we could say, reform and we want to take out all of the bad parts of police i actually think part of reforming policing should be actually maybe paying the ones who stick around to do the nonviolent work of like when we actually get it down like why do we have tanks but then people are still saying cops are making less than what 50k a year i don't know it's so right. we, even within those structures, they're still funneling it to that capitalist over yeah. that system that is maintaining that racist patriarchal system mm -hmm. that preys on the marginalized. So mm -hmm. I think I think it's disingenuous for people to say we can't say defund the police because people don't understand it, um, because I think people in this country understand a lot more than they want to admit. I can listen to go into any sports bar in the West Michigan area and an over here completely nuanced conversation about so-and-so's kick rate or you know it's like people fo focus on what they want to put their energy into and I think we need a lot more people to wake up to things of this nature mm -hmm. and I think educating and teaching history is important like a lot of people don't even understand how we got to where we are today with our law enforcement 
um, the reality is, is, like, it came from a very bad racist place. Yeah, it's the descendant yeah. of this slave. It literally, the slave catcher was the original police department. They've reformed mm-hmm. and tweaked the departments to where we have our modern incarnation. This is, can literally be traced, so. Yeah. Yeah. But sometimes the poison is too deep. And I mean, I would love to see mm-hmm. the whole system rerouted and redone. That would be like my perfect idea, I think. Because, you know, it is really hard to clean some stains out of something. And sometimes the stain just stays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's that's going to take a lot more time for us to basically redo everything. Yeah. It's a long game. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, again, it's a marathon, like you said. Yeah, and that's where you need, especially the younger generation, that's where you need more people involved because, you know, mm-hmm. down the line... That's who's going to take up all these issues. Mm-hmm. That's who's going to, you know, run with all these. Even right now, you know, the younger generation has a lot more energy and they have a lot more ideas Absolutely. to do a lot of those things. And something that we don't focus on, and I'm going to be the campaign person here again, is our prosecutors and our judges and oh, our Supreme yes. Court. Um, like, Ellie Savit coming into office, Prosecutor Savit in Washtenaw, the amount of things that he did overnight like with pro- what he's going to prosecute was a huge difference. The way that he's handled law enforcement when there's been reports of abuse, huge difference. So like we can't underestimate the importance of paying attention and getting involved in your local elections because that is a way to start changing the system. Is it going to fix everything overnight? Well, no, because whether we like it or not, the prosecutor is part of the broken system. But you can have a prosecutor that's working to dismantle that broken system. And I think that that's an important thing to realize. And that comes back to Young Dems and Cannabis Caucus and Progressive Caucus helping get these people trained and knowledge and educated and and active so that they can become the next Ellie Sabitz and the next Dana Nessels. Right, right, right. That's absolutely true. I want to ask you another question that's a a little bit different is... um, I think that today's younger generation, I mean, millennials and Gen Z, and, and even back to my generation, I'm probably the old, about, about as old as you can get and still be sort of in this, in the, in this group. This is, uh, there, there's, a, there's a couple of huge changes that have happened to the world uh, and to our, to our societies uh, in the last 500 years. And one of them is that our medical technology has extended the lives of, of our leaders to the point that somebody you mentioned before that we've got all our top leaders were born in the 40s. Mm. Biden, Pelosi, I think Schumer, I'm pretty sure Schumer is in the 40s, the, at the latest 50s. McConnell and all, the, all these people. These people were born in the 40s. These people have uh, a set of ideas ingrained into them that I mean I'm not saying that that's I mean they couldn't have avoided it they grew up in our culture they got ingrained mm-hmm. in certain ideas but these ideas are now effectively 60 70 years old you know that mm-hmm. they grew up with in the history of the world it's the we have had the most amount of change over the last 100 years than we've had in any other 1000 years mm-hmm. So there's a huge disconnect between the way that the leaders, our leaders are thinking about things based on their formational experiences and the way that, uh, the way that uh, younger generations think about them. Mm-hmm. You didn't go through the Cold War, mm-hmm. okay? The whole Red Scare thing is very, very abstract to most people younger than me uh, and doesn't really land with a lot of people younger than me, even with a lot of people my age and older. So what, what do you think about that, that you are the vanguard of the generations that are going to have to deal with this, with this new situation where people can live so long that they can bring attitudes and perspectives that are that far out of date and, and continue applying them? What, what, what do you think about that? I think that shows the need for term limits in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. You know, we have term limits at like some of the levels and we see, you know, that that works and that brings new people and new ideas in. But that's where we need for Congress, for state Senate. We need those term limits because some people are doing more harm staying in there than, you know, others. I mean, if they can't change or at least look at new ideas, then they're basically done with leading the people mm-hmm. in, in a lot of sense. But you have others who, even though they've been in this for a long time, they they look at what the new ideas are. They look at what changes are needed. They look at like, okay, we used to do this from a different perspective, but the times have changed. We have to look at this from a new perspective and we have to look at, okay, like what are the people asking for now? Bernie Sanders is an example of that, and that's why he has been able to lead so many of the younger generation. Mm -hmm. We had younger candidates running for for president, but most people stood behind Bernie Sanders, and Mm -hmm. that's one of the issues is that, okay, 
he did not grow up in the time when a lot of these things were happening, but he did adapt and he is looking at how to lead with these new changes and how to like continuously, continuously improve things. Is he perfect? No, but nobody's perfect. But as far as being able to lead, especially the younger generation, especially, you know, people with the new ideas, he knows how to get it done. Mm-hmm. And that's why he's able to motivate. Mm-hmm. And I think another thing is that, you know, all the time, like growing up, most of us heard if like you're from the same party, you do not challenge another person from that same party. Mm-hmm. That is one thing that I always heard growing up mm-hmm. is that you do not like people, people do not get challenged. And I think that's what put a lot of people behind. And now you're seeing a movement where, no, the younger generation or more progressives are starting to challenge people from the same party. Yeah. Um, and that is very much needed. It does mm-hmm. get awkward at times. It does you know like it's like oh i do not know how to do this but it is very much needed because even if you do not get the person out like the the person gets elected again it does start a movement and it does put pressure behind the ones who have been in office for so Mm -hmm. long to see oh okay like my way of thinking or my way of doing things is no longer accepted i did win my seat but that may not be it next time so what is it that i need to change not all of them are going to look at it that way not all of them are going to change but it does help create like you know that conversation Mm -hmm. yeah and i think like we can talk about representative ocasio cortez aoc you know she made people uncomfortable like she made them really uncomfortable because she her and rashida tlaib and ilhan omar um, and I, I, Ayesha Presley, like they, they made people uncomfortable and change comes when you're uncomfortable. So them being there was crucial. Now, at the same time, do I think that they should be there forever? Well, no, I don't believe in political dynasties. So like, I do agree with Zahara that I think that we need to look at term limits. I think that we have them on our state reps, we have them on our state senators, and we should have them on our federal level people. At the same time, I've heard the counter where it's like, you know, people can be there and they're working on really great bills, really great bills, and now they're coming up to the end of their term and now they have to find someone to hand these bills down to. Well, that comes down to, I hope that we're teaching and educating and raising up new young leaders who can take over that bill that Rep. Robbie was working on now that he's termed out, or who can take over that bill that Senator Irwin was working on now that he's termed out. So it's about building the bench. That's a really important part about doing this is building the bench. I think that that's something that we should like focus on a lot so i agree with building the bench but i want to push back on uh, term limits a little bit i actually think that term limits are a pretty bad idea because term limits term limits help the people who have enough money to sit back there yeah. and and groom lobbyists to to run for office and uh what happens if you have term limits is that effectively the uh, political positions become become internships for lobbying or 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 some other cushy job afterwards, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or, or in between. Sometimes people go in and out through the revolving door. I think that term limits are a really bad idea. I'd be more sympathetic to like an age limit or something mm. like that. Like we have a minimum age. Have a maximum that, that, age. That you have to be, you could have a maximum mm. age. Not because, not, not because we're saying that anybody's not capable, but we're saying that so much time has passed that we can't be sure that you're going to be keeping up with, with, with the times because things are moving so fast in this uh, new age that we're living I in. I think that might be hard to do because that may be seen as ageist, though, in some regards. Yeah, and, and, and not only that, I mean, for people to get to those federal level, it's usually, I mean, yeah, there's some people who make it, like, you know, like young, right, at the age that, yeah, like, sure. there's some people who make it, that, but then there's a lot of people for them to get to that federal level. It's going to take, you know, other positions. It's going to take a long time or some people that just simply sure. haven't started in politics till later. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, like between me and Leah, like I started in politics a lot, le- a lot later than Leah did. And the problem we're still talking about here, it's not actually the age of the people, right? It's how long capitalism has kept them in that position. So yeah. it's not, it's like, why, why does, why do people like Pelosi and Schumer, why are they safe year after year, election after election? Because... The people who fund the elections want them safe. So, yeah, I was going to say we haven't mentioned like getting money out of politics, but like that's a really big part of it is having like publicly funded elections so that it would take away some of that advantage that these just stupidly wealthy billionaires that have. The other thing that I will agree with, with something that Liano was saying, and I've talked with some representatives about this, is with the term limits and with the, like, year restrictions, these people are constantly in campaign mode. Like, they're constantly in campaign mode. 
And so that takes Mm -hmm. away from their ability to really lead and elect and volunteer because every two years they're running for re-election. They're running for re-election. Well, two years moves like a blink of an eye. Like it even, even the four years for state Senate moves quickly, like the blink of an eye. So like, I don't necessarily know if term limits are the best solution, but it is like a, a way to keep people from being in there for their whole life. But I think that that itself may bring some drawbacks like Liana was outlining. Yeah, for, for sure. And that's that's like where, you know, you had to look at all the different situation. I think just them having challengers can mm-hmm. sometimes play a big role into, you know, because I think a lot of them, especially if they've been there for a long time, is they get comfortable and they stop looking at new ideas or basically stop working in a, in a sense. You know, it's mm-hmm. just like, OK, this this is the way they've always done it. So if we cannot get the term limits, then at least, you know, get more people to challenge them, challenge these ideas, wake them up, basically, in a sense, until we're able to find, until we're able to find that balance of whether it is that we need term limits or age limits or what. I agree with that. That's basically, that's the beginnings mm-hmm. of saying what I, what I wanted to say before, which was what we really need, the, the real solution to the problem of people being in there for too long uh, is more democracy. Mm-hmm. Term limits is less democracy. We have less things that we get to decide as the people. The choice of keeping this guy is removed. Maybe it's good, maybe it's bad, but mm-hmm. the choice is the choice has been removed. Yeah. So that's less democracy. So part of the big problem we have right now is that people go around today thinking that we live in a democracy already, and we don't. We are so far from democracy, it is patently ridiculous. I mean, just for example, as far as the Senate is concerned, in the U.S. Senate, Wyoming people in Wyoming are represented by 17 times more Senate power than mm-hmm. each person in Michigan. Yeah, is. we have okay. to fix it. There's like it's it's yeah. it's obvious that when these things are written, they didn't expect to have the population levels and the stuff that we have today. I mean, that's why I view the Constitution as a living, breathing document. We're supposed to be able to amend it, change it, edit it, and like. There's no question that having two senators representing every state is just it doesn't make sense. Yeah, and, and not only that, the Constitution, when it was first written, it wasn't made for all the people. Mm-hmm. It was made just right. for your basically rich white man, yeah. in all honesty. So, you know, mm-hmm. right now down the line, you know, as, as more things expanded, we still have the same laws that were written just for this type of people, whereas everything else we're still basically trying to, like, you know, not everybody functions that same way. Not everybody's issues are the same. Mm-hmm. The representation of just having two senators for a state where you end up having like some people who have like a lot of representations where others is basically there is no representation. So those things have to be um, reallocated or redone or Mm -hmm. refigured out. Another big thing is like, I mean, this is something that Michigan really heavily deals with. And right now we are dealing with trying to get rid of it. Um, is the fact that so many districts are gerrymandered, yeah. which affects, which is ve- very heavily affects representation and what what gets done, um, you know, on different levels and mm-hmm. um, it also how are people keeps represented. People in. Absolutely, mm-hmm. and yeah. and just the way that they're able to do it. So that that's another thing. You know, we have to look at what laws we need to change to reallocate either the funds or just re- figure out like a new way of doing things. Yeah. Um, you know, like right now, mm-hmm. the whole the whole gerrymandering thing. Once, if we're able to, because uh, I mean, we we voted to to get rid of gerrymandering, but now it's just about like you yeah. know drawing up the the districts to be fair to everybody. Mm-hmm. So how is that going to well, change things um, as far as representation district, for a lot it, of people? Yeah, and it could affect districts where you know someone who's been there forever suddenly is going to have like a really strong challenger and really have to be on Absolutely. their game. And or they may lose their district entirely. And when we say brand new challengers come out. So, I mean, I'm going to reiterate building the bench. Like, I think that that's a really crucial part of this whole conversation is building that bench. And I'm glad that you brought up gerrymandering, because especially for Michigan, like that has been a huge issue. And I think about like North Carolina, another state that has huge issues with gerrymandering. So they're experiencing the same sort of stuff. Um, you know, if you could have every state redraw their lines the appropriate way, what would that real representation Absolutely. look like? Absolutely. And, you know, right now it is yeah. um, the state redistricting commission is in the middle of their public hearings. They are anyone can go in front of the board. I think they're going to be in Muskegon um, the first. Mm-hmm. Maybe I think it's the 10th. Don't quote me. Um, but we're the free people is an organization mm-hmm. that I work with um, is going to be 
going in front of the board when they come in front of Muskegon because Muskegon's been so heavily gerrymandered. And anybody can do that right now for their area. You can come up with your own map of uh, your own community interest map that reflects what you think the map should look like based on keeping your community together. I would encourage everyone to look into that. I think um, voters, not mm-hmm. politicians, is, you know, they were the one that, that led the ballot initiative to ungerrymander Michigan, and they are still doing that work. Mm-hmm. Let me just say about that, that I fully support the commission and all of that, but it is a stopgap solution. Mm-hmm. Drawing districts is dividing people for no reason other than to divide them. There is no reason that we need to have any districts. We can have at-large representatives. What that would allow to happen is that would allow communities that are geographically disparate, that are de- geographically separated, to raise their voices together on things that they agree on. I feel like every single representative would come from Southeast Michigan then, and we would lose representatives from the UP and the up north area. Not at all, because what would happen is that you would get the top 15 vote-getters. So the the people in Southeast Michigan are going to vote for the people that come from there, but they're going to get, maybe they get, uh, I don't know, uh, what, what, what is it, with 15, so maybe they get, uh, I don't know, I don't know what the proportions are exactly, but they get some proportion of the representatives, but then, but, but mm-hmm. then the other people down, you know, get much, many fewer votes, but they still get on because they're in the top 15. Interesting. But isn't cannabis policy possibly an example where a federalist mm-hmm. system that does divide us is working to the benefit of the pro-cannabis movement? Because we're still federally illegal, but we have now 19 states that have legalized. Back to cannabis again. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I think that just shows an example of where the federal government and the state's governments don't make sense to with each other in some way. Right. I think a lot of times people think of states' rights, though, and they think of like the really like guns and really conservative movements, but... No, but yeah. state rights are like... It was LGBTQ rights. It was abortion rights. Like, it, like it is mm-hmm. cannabis rights right now. It is uh, mm-hmm. psilocybin rights right now. Um, psilocybin, magic mushrooms. Uh, like, the, so, like, you know... Yeah. It, it was LGBTQ issues, which now we don't even, like, we take for granted in some ways. We know that they're there now, right? But that used to be a state-by-state thing, or abortion was a state-by-state thing. Um, well, now, I mean, yeah, we so, could even go back farther and say, like, the whole, what almost divided, completely divided the nation is slavery. That was yeah. also state-by-state-wide thing, and that's that, that shaped a lot of, like, the way we think and a lot of the laws and everything like that. And what I would say is, you know, a lot of those state by state things eventually became a federal thing. And that's what we're seeing with cannabis legalization now is like, you know, we actually have stuff moving slowly but surely through D.C. But like to me, I've always felt like the states know what's going on in the state. D.C. doesn't necessarily understand the state like we understand our state. Well, that's an issue of, you know, well, we should have federal funding, but local control is what we should have. Okay, and there are issues with that, too, because, you know, the issue is that, you know, people will then say, well, we'll get, you know, we may get Republicans who are going to, you know, do this, you know, pay off their their wealthy donors and stuff like that with government contracts and shit. And that's going to that kind of stuff is going to happen. What we have to do is we Mm -hmm. have to fight against it. We can't just say, you know, we can't do anything about that. We're just going to have to keep on going. No, we have to figure out a different system of organizing ourselves so that we don't have those kinds of problems. Yeah. I have to clarify something I said earlier because it's been weighing on me. I do not think cops in our current system should make more money. That was a part of like, if there's ever reform, like a holistic sense would be that includes taking care of the people. Yeah. Um, Everyone, but in yeah. our cur- <laughs> sure. yeah. Everyone deserves a living wage. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. And I, yeah. So, but system. no, the current system, burn it to the ground. <laughs> like, like. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like that. It's like I cannot right. believe I phrased it that way. Oh, no, Mickey. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. I got you. I got you. Yeah. Yeah. So, what do you guys think about? Let's talk about like the biggest picture here. What do you think is going on in um, in terms of how global culture is changing, and 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 how uh, how uh, young people are um, are affecting and affected by that? Do you see any big trends or ideas of interest in that? And in, you know, from the biggest perspective. Well, I see the climate change or, you know, the climate activism as as something that Mm -hmm. is very much a global movement. You know, if we want to do anything down the line, we need uh, a planet that we can live on. So that is something that is definitely, you know, it's an issue worldwide is, okay, we want to continue doing things down the line. We need a healthy planet to have a healthy planet. Mm -hmm. We need to be involved with the climate reform or um, look at the issues and see what is causing so much toxicity in the earth. 
I mean, a lot of these things, people did them because they were easier or cheaper. Okay, but at what cost at this point, you know? Um, So that's a big worldwide issue. Another thing is drug policy reform. I mean, after I started with the cannabis movement, I joined Drug Policy Alliance because the way drugs are criminalized and what people, you know, go through with them, especially since so many of the people that do start on drugs Mm -hmm. actually start on the opiates that are prescribed by their doctor. And that is like, you know, one of the real gateway drugs is the opiates that are, you know, given by your health professional. So we should just, our whole drug policy, we, we need a drug policy reform. We have to stop criminalizing. I mean, there's, there's always going to be people who are going to be criminalized, but for the most part, most people do not, like, should, mm-hmm. should not go to jail. Like, you should, instead of jail, they should be in, in treatment centers, in, in rehab. Even the idea of just legalizing all drugs um, or decriminalizing all drugs, you know, that can help a lot of the criminal justice system is because you can now focus on, on violent crimes. Right. And, and those people will get, you know, treatment because like right now, a lot of people who end up in prison for drug policy, that's not going to get them away from drugs. Yeah. Drugs are available Absolutely. in prison. So what exactly did they do? The first thing, and I think a huge part of this is the fact that we have allowed privatized prisons to exist in our country, right? Like mm-hmm. when people can make money off of a body in a cell, we have what is left for society. Mm-hmm. We're the most incarcerated nation on the face of the planet. Mm-hmm. And we're also the most capitalist, the most wealthy. I don't even know what our ranks are, you know, freedom. Like, you know, people just yell that these days. <laughs> like we, they used to we're say, we're not good at education. If you want to know. Yeah. Yeah. We're not good. There's a <laughs> lot of things that we're not good at. <laughs> Portugal, for example, Zahara was, um, has completely decriminalized for over a decade or more has decriminalized mm-hmm. all drugs. And that we have a working model of a system that works to help people reform their lives why don't we implement it? Because people can't make money yeah. off of that. Actually, they pro- they'll privatize anything. So they could if they yeah. wanted, but... Uh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Portugal dropped uh, their... I can't remember if it's their recidivism rate or their or their drug usage. I'm pretty sure it's their drug usage rate mm-hmm. dropped by like 50%. So, I mean, mm-hmm. that's the... you know, And n- nobody else has come up with a system that's done like even 10% or something like that. So... I- I mean, let's like, you talk to a lot of people. I mean, if they didn't start through like, you know, um, something legal, like, you know, through their doctors, a lot of them started because it was a defiance issue. That's that's what a lot of people start with. So, you know, decriminalizing it or just legalizing, um, you know, the drugs, you can still do, it's, it's not like it, you know, when we talk about legalizing or decriminalizing drugs, you, you're not just, you're not saying, oh, okay, here it is, like, it's available to everywhere, it, to, to anybody. It's like, okay, We're going to sell it at Myers do... in the checkout lane. <laughs> Myers, but not everybody goes to Myers. Like, you know, it's, it's just going to be, like, <laughs> out of the schools then. Um, but no, yeah. so, so it's, it's really about creating a system where, okay, if people, you know, mm-hmm. do use it or if, if people, you know, have access to it, how are they going to use it safely and how if they want to get clean that they have those resources without upending their lives you know like right now so many people even the ones that started on the legal drug by their doctors their lives get ruined Mm -hmm. because of that drugs even when they do Mm -hmm. get clean or you know they do turn their life around that's always following them around so we need just Mm -hmm. the whole policy change on this issue yeah Yeah. but i i think globally you see issues being what motivates a lot of people i mean you know like zahara mentioned and then there's the black lives matter movement there were marches all over the world for that um when we saw what was happening in palestine recently there were marches all over the world for that so i think issues Mm -hmm. are really starting to unite people and i think we have you know we have social media we have more technology now than we ever did so we're so much more connected to the rest of the world than like my parents generation was so i think that like so i'm i'm the national committee woman for the state of michigan for the young democrats of america and so we have like an international affairs committee like they're going and they're doing trips and they're working on partnerships like there's there's more interest and there's more connectedness Mm -hmm. there's more of that network and that community Mm -hmm. where they are uniting around issues you know probably not a politician except for bernie sanders who had marches all over the world um but they're uniting around issues and i think that there's i'm a model un kid so like there's this thing about being a citizen and there's being a global citizen and we're all global citizens and i think that the younger generation of my generation have more of a connection to that mentality of a global citizen 
than what we have seen in the past. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And one of the issues I've been working on right now is uniting uh, different people is the cannabis bridge walk. Right now, a lot of people are upset about what's happening with the caregivers or what could happen with the caregivers and all of that. So the cannabis bridge walk is, is something that used to happen every year to legalize and now they're bringing it back to make sure that we can keep our caregiver system in place and that that's continuing. Yeah, we've heard a bunch about big weed trying to shut down uh, medical cannabis caregivers by adding Mm -hmm. a whole bunch of regulations and stuff like that on on there. Yeah, so we'd really encourage everyone to come to that event. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's on Labor Day Monday at the Mackinac Bridge. And then there's a barbecue the day before at 420 uh, that everyone is invited to as well. And also that weekend is the Paddle Out Pipe, Paddle Out Paddle out flotilla. Paddle out pipe up flotilla. Boom, I got it. Paddle out pipe up flotilla for the Line 5 protest. So you're, you're paddling in the kayak and you're pulling up the pipeline. Get it? Um, so that's also happening in Mackinac that weekend. And those are two things that Zahara and I are a part of. But they're also another community opportunity to get together with people like-minded like you and remember that, you know, you're not alone in this movement. These people are fighting with you. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I can't wait for those events. I'm very excited. Yeah. <laughs> Those sound, that, that sounds yeah. like a lot of fun. You guys want to give uh, another shout out to any of your groups or anything? You want to give people the uh, information where to get in touch before we wrap up? Yeah, you can do all the cannabis ones, Zahara. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for the Cannabis Caucus of the Michigan Democratic Party, that's our Facebook page. We also have an Instagram um, and we also have uh, a group. Uh, so we post regularly on our page, so you can definitely follow us and stay in touch with everything that we're doing. The other group is uh, Motor City Normal. Uh, Normal is the national organization of, uh, for the reform of marijuana laws. I am the vice president of the, of the Motor City chapter, and we hold meetings the first Saturday of the month. Right now, they are still virtual, so you can look at the information on our Facebook page to join our next meeting. Um, the Michigan Cannabis Freedom Coalition, you can find more information on our Facebook page. What am I forgetting? Sounds good. How about you, Leah? I think you got them all. Yeah, um, yeah so for for the Young Dems of Michigan, for YDM, um, we have a Facebook page, it's Young Democrats of Michigan. Uh, we also have a Facebook group that we post a lot of information in, and we would encourage you to join the group as well as like the page. Um, if you're interested in coming to meet the board and meet the members and figure out about YDM, we're having our state convention August 21st in Macomb County. Um, more details will be posted about that, but it's a great opportunity to come out, meet the board, be involved in the election process, talk to your electeds. We're going to have a training with Councilman Aaron Byers from Dearborn and a potluck afterwards. So it's just a great chance to come meet people. And then for the Young Democrats of America, they also have a Facebook page. Um, you can follow my, my personal page, Leah Schuyler Dotson, for updates from YDM. Um, but I would follow their web, their Facebook page as well. Um, and they're a really cool group to get involved in because they're doing stuff at the national level. So we talked a lot about, you know, local, but got up to that federal level. So like YDA is, if you're more interested in federal stuff or national stuff, YDA is definitely somewhere that I would encourage you to go. Very, very cool. Nikki, you have anything else? I just want to thank you both for joining us tonight. Uh, so informative and so inspiring, everything you put into this work. <laughs> it is not easy and you to make it look graceful and flawless and i just can't wait to see what you do because you're both so young like you're gonna keep you're gonna keep building and you are laying way better foundations than i was at your age let me tell you so i am very excited to see what you do and glad that you shared with us tonight thank you so much thank you so much for having us on yeah thank you for having us on yeah thanks for coming on very uh, uh lots of fun and i'm sure we'll have we'll, we'll have you back maybe for maybe for one of our other segments that uh where, where we do where we do some slightly different things so yeah. yeah, for sure. Always down for whatever you guys are doing. Yes. Always happy to support and be a part of it. Oh, cool, thank cool, you. Cool. Yes, we can't, can't wait to have you back. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for listening. You can find State of the Revolution on your favorite podcast platform or on the Michigan Progressive website, michiganprogressive.com. If you're listening on YouTube, hit the subscribe button. And if you like the work we're doing, consider making a monthly contribution at patreon.com slash Progressive.